0: We ask you to bless this evening. We ask your Holy Spirit to lead and guide as we look at your word and see what you would want us to see from this section. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us and your care for us in Jesus name. Amen. Second Chronicles 24. We're going to be at verse 15 when we start. Yes. Uh, We have uh, the story of Josiah. Josiah became king when he was yet a child and he was protected from Athaliah. His uh, grandmother tried as a Grandmother tried to kill him. My mother, uh, grandmother, tried to kill him, and the rest of the family. She took the throne for seven years while he was being protected by the priest. And then we looked at the priest calling, calling the people to him. And then we watched Josiah wanting to rebuild the temple. And he told the priest, if you remember, he told the Levites and the priests, go collect the the annual taxodus for everybody, which was a half a shekel per person. Uh, which is how they did their did their uh, census. They would just count the money instead of the people, and they'd count the money and divide it in half, and they'd know how many pe- or multiply it by two and and know how many how many people there were in the land. And the Levites didn't do that. And remember, we talked about them making this big chest, and every time it was filled, they would take take the money and pass it out. And so now we're going to look at. Start looking at the fact that Josiah, though he started out very righteous and godly, ends up being not very godly. Joash, uh, Joash excuse me. Well, same person, actually. Well, in Yeah, same person in both books, and I get them mixed up with Joash and King Chronicles. All right, so verse 15. <clears throat> but Jehoiada waxed old and was and was full of days when he died. 130 years old was he when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and toward his house. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made uh, obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. and And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again into the Lord and they testified against them, but they would not give ear. So we're going to stop there. Here is Josiah raised up in the temple with the high priest. He started ruling and when he first started ruling, he was very godly. And this is what it said in the beginning of this chapter. In all the days of Jehoiada, the high priest, he did good and he followed God and his Zeal for God was such that he outdistanced Jehoiada during those times. He wanted the temple put together and he got mad at Jehoiada and the the Levites for not, not taking up the offering. And now when Jehoiada dies at the young age of 130, they buried him in the house of David, in the city of David, among the kings. This is how much respect they were given the high priest. Because remember... He is a Levite. He is not of the house of Judah, which is the, the kingly line. And yet he is buried in with the line of David. And this is quite a respect. He saved the line of David when, when he took in Joash and protected him and then put him into king as regent and took care of him. And he gets an honor, a great honor in his death. Saying, you have been godly. You have led Israel in the right direction. And you have helped the king. And on his death, it says in verse 17, then came the princes of Judah. So Joash gets a visit from all the other elders. And I'm going to say more more likely rulers rather than princes. Because remember, there aren't any other princes other than his children. So when they say princes, the word in Hebrew is rulers. Other rulers, these would be your dukes and, and uh, leaders in, in all the different uh, tribes. They come to see him and they bow down to him and it says the king hearkened unto them. Up until this point, he's been listening to Jehoiada, Jehoiada as his primary counselor. He was getting godly advice, godly counsel. And he was listening to the right people. Now he's listening to the leaders that aren't godly. How do we know they're not godly? Because in verse 18 it says, They left the house of the Lord God their fathers and served groves and idols. So here come the, the leaders of Israel, of Judah, and they basically convince him to not follow God as much. And the conversations probably went, you know, hey, you know, during your your father's time, we did all these other gods, and we did okay with these other gods, and and you're making everybody come to Jerusalem, and they don't want to come to Jerusalem necessarily. Let us just let us do what we want to do and be happy. You now, no, no rule, no, nothing has ever changed in in life. Nothing has ever changed. The same thing we have from our governments and stuff today. Well, we'll just let the people do whatever they want. It doesn't matter how they worship. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, everything is going good. And every time we follow God, God blesses a nation. When people stop following God, things start falling apart. Now, it would be really nice if it fell apart as fast as it came together. You worship God, and he does bless very quickly. And then it takes time, because of his grace and his mercy, to get the judgment that we deserve. And we're seeing it even in our country. You know, it really started probably in the late 1800s that we started drifting away from God. And then we started accelerating our drift from God. And now, most of our country doesn't believe in God at all. And what are we seeing during that period of time? Wars, famines, weather, weather, all the stuff we see in the Bible, and it's not a surprise to me that we're going through everything that we're going through. The next step will be to actually have wars and invasions that actually hit our country. Now, our country has been very fortunate over the years. We've only had two international wars on our coasts. Now, we, we can include Hawaii, which wasn't a state at the time, but that's as close as the enemy came during World War II. But we had the Mexican-American War, and we had the... Uh, French, French and Indian War in the North Northeast, way back in the beginning. And those are the only times our country has had war on the continent outside of ourselves. In the Civil War, all of our wars so far have been elsewhere. Now, I do think that we may face war in our country at some point because that it'd be the ultimate downfall. It is what happened to Israel over and over again. It's what happened to every other nation. That follow God, follows God, and then has the final step of invasion. Now we may just fall; we may just implode from the inside, which is what Stalin and many of the communist people. In America will fall from inside, and it looks like we may fall from the inside, and we may have another civil war the way things are going. You know, and people go, "Well, there's no way." Well, that's very, very likely, with because we have certain groups that are of states that are following after God a little bit and having problems with what's going on, but that is the ultimate judgment that comes. And we look around us and see all of God's judgments that he's judged other nations, especially Israel with, over and over again falling upon America. We're seeing weather, strange weather, earthquakes, uh, you know, all kinds of things hitting our country, more severe weather than normal, uh, you know, hitting our country. And I am one that I truly believe it is God's judgment trying to shake the America and say, turn and repent. And the next step would be some form of war or invasion. Now, we are in battle everywhere. Uh, part of that is to keep the attention of what's going on here away from what's going on you know, in America. So a lot of it is intentional. A lot of these conflicts are intentional to get the focus off what's going on in, in our country. And Here, Josiah has a country that's running well. God is blessing them. And he listens to the wrong voices. And what does this mean for us? We need to be careful to the voices that we listen to for advice. While he was listening to Jehoiada, God's blessing and he does things. And he has the heart to seek after after godly things. As soon as Jehoiada dies, the princes come with their worldly Counsel and it's so easy for worldly counsel to sound good Because they mix just enough truth into it just enough of God's word into it to make it sound You know well, you know you really should be happy Well, I don't know what verses they are looking at because God wants to bless us He wants us to be leaning on him But nowhere does he promise that we're going to be happy. He says we'll be joyful. We'll be peaceful why? Because our focus is on Him. But He doesn't say that our life is going to be happy. And I know there was certain people that witness to people that lead them to, if you want to have, be happy the rest of your life, turn to Jesus. Wrong motivation. Because I've been following Him for just 50 years, and you know what? While I'm happy quite often, and I'm joyful quite often, I have not been happy for 50 straight years. There have always been certain things that have been very hard to deal with. Now, I've had joy and peace during all of that time, but I have not been happy all that time. You know, and the gospel that's being preached in this day's world is turn to God and everything's going to be good. You're going to be happy. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be healthy. And if you're not, there was something wrong with your faith. And that's what's taught by so many of our churches. And even that message isn't a new message. We go back to Job, and that's exactly what Job believed. That's what his disciples believed as they harassed him for not having a happy, healthy life. Job, you must be really awful, because if you weren't, if you weren't awful, you wouldn't have all these bad things happening to you. And that was their logic. And if you look at their, their, their statements, that was what they were saying. You had to have done something wrong, otherwise you wouldn't have lost all your wealth. You had to be terrible and awful, because otherwise God wouldn't have let your health disappear. So the message that's being preached today is not new. It's wrong still, but it is not a new message. And this is one of the things about this as we look at this scripture, Satan never comes with a new argument. Every argument he has is the same argument that he's always made. He just dresses it up differently when he presents it to him. And we oftentimes fall hook, line, and sinker for the same arguments. And we're seeing even today, we're starting to see this Gnosticism creep into the church where the idea of spiritualize everything and the flesh is bad and, and get rid of the flesh, that's Gnosticism. It was around since the beginning of the church. And it had a wrong teaching and much of the, many of the uh, epistles are written against this. And we're starting to see it come back again, you know, it uh, doesn't matter what you do in the body because the spirit is all that matters because the body's bad. The body's going to do b- bad things, so don't worry about what the body does. Just worry about the spiritual stuff. That is Gnosticism, and that is taught. If it's not uh, prosperity gospel, it's this Gnostic gospel that's being preached, and neither one of them are good because they take the focus away from a relationship with God and the desire that God has for us to be righteous and holy and 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 pure, even though he knows we can't be, but through the spirit we can become closer to it. And we see Josiah, uh, Joash making a turn the wrong way. He's followed after God, he's worshiping God, he's bringing the people into God, and then he listens to the wrong people. Now in many ways, these wrong people, they're the leaders of, Israel, of Judah, they were probably older, so he's you know, giving them some respect. They're older. I mean, they must know what they're talking about. They, they, you know, they seem to be OK guys. And he starts listening to them. And we need to be very careful. Who do we listen to for advice? And you know, when, when we, if you remember ever watching the movie Fireproof, and we showed that, you know, it's a very interesting collage that they put on. He is listening to godly counsel. She's listening to ungodly counsel. And it really makes things difficult when they're trying to bring themselves together in a marriage. Because what's ungodly counsel is going to say, do what makes you feel good. If it feels good, do it. That's not God's counsel. God says, this is my truth. Obey it, whether it feels good or not. And sometimes that's really hard to do. Because God, I don't think what you're telling me is going to work. I don't see how it can work. And God says, just trust. Trust my word, trust my truth. And this is very important for us. Are we willing to trust God and godly counsel? Or do we listen to the world's counsel which plays to our own flesh anyway and sounds so good? I can, I can attest to the fact that in 50 years, God's, God's counsel has not always sounded like the best way to go. And sometimes I have gone the wrong way. Sometimes I have followed it like I was supposed to. When I have not followed his counsel, Life has been miserable. It looked good walking into it. It seemed like the best way to go, but it always falls apart. And this is where Jesus says, what is your house built on? The rock of Jesus and truth or the shifting sands of the world's way of thinking? Now, you think about that. If you you want to build something, you can take a choice. You can Build it on sand, and your foundation, your poles, and everything are going to go, your frame will be nailed in really quick and easy. won't stand very long, but it'll, it'll, stand, you know, it'll go up really easy. If you build on the rock, it takes time to put that foundation in place. I've watched some buildings go up on, a, on occasion and watched how long it took to lay a foundation, a good foundation, and... And you're going, wow, this thing's taken for and then you then once the foundation is laid, you see the building go up in about you know a couple weeks. You know, week month you know, months and months or years to build the foundation and then weeks just to build the the entire house upon that foundation. And this is what we need to do. What is the foundation that we're building on? Who are we listening to? Joe, Joe Ash did good when he was listening to godly counsel. And then we're going to see what happens to him as he li- listens to this. So what does it lead into? They served the groves and idols. Groves are totem poles. So that's the Ashdoras, the fer- fertility goddess uh, that they were worshiping, and other idols. So Jeho- Jehoiada passes away, and, and very quickly after that, they start shifting away from God and worshiping idols again. Now, I'm amazed, and it doesn't tell us that Joash did this, but Israel did. They were ready to immediately seek after these idols. And this is the this is the statement that we hear frequently from people. You can't legislate righteousness. And you know what? It is absolutely true. You cannot legislate righteousness because people's hearts have to be changed. I work at the prison, and one of the things they look at is, We have these Christian groups that come into the prisons. They change lives and hearts, and they get all kinds of big, long-lasting changes. So everybody goes, well, see, all these programs are really good. Then they put all kinds of programs in that don't change the heart of the people, just give them more education, more training. And it's not a bad thing, but if their heart isn't changed, as soon as they get an opportunity, they're going to go the wrong way. And this is what happened to the people of Israel. Joash brings them in. He gets them worshiping God. He calls them to the temple. They repair the temple. But their hearts weren't truly changed. It was just time to come, guys. It's time to be obedient. The king said, all right, the king said we had to go to the temple. We're going to, we'll, we'll go to the temple. We don't really want to go to the temple, but we're going to go to the temple. We're going to offer our sacrifices. We're going to obey God. But their hearts were far from, from God. as soon as they had the opportunity they turned away and this is something we need to be doing as well and this is one of the things people tell you would, would tell me and other christians when we raised our kids to be in the church well what happens when your kids go old when my kids get old they make the decision they want to make but until then they're going to follow god you know, and I love some of the pastors because it's you know, kind of funny. They'll go, I had a drug problem when I, went, when I was growing up. He goes, I got drugged to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Well, my kids got drugged to church. Whether they wanted to or didn't want to go to church, they went to church. <laughs> it laid the foundation that needed to be laid down. Now, were all their hearts completely turned to God during that time? No. Because they were going only because they were made to go. But... I also wasn't going to go to the other extreme because I've met many Christians, well, I want my kids to decide what they want to do. I'm going, well, that is really a dumb idea. Their flesh is going to seek after the fleshly things. You need to get them raised up in a Christian environment and they will know then what they are missing okay. when they choose to go the wrong way. said so that same nice thing. Well, you shouldn't do that. Well, I don't want to argue with them. Well, then then the question is, do you want to be the parent or do you want to be their friend? I wanted to be the parent. I want that foundation right. I want them to make a decision, and I want to know what they're missing. Now, the hard thing is that consistency, it wasn't just going to church that led my kids to where they were. It was also the fact that we talked about the Bible. We sang Bible songs. We implemented God all the time. Because I have met many pastors, kids, PKs that have gone to church all their life. And you know, I taught Sunday school. I got to listen to those kids talk about what their fathers, you know, fathers were like at home. And it's like, okay, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I really don't want to know anymore. Because when they would talk to you, you realize those men were just regular men. And they were different at home than they were at the church and activities for the church. And the kids saw that, and you know being a, being a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid is not an easy job anyway, because everybody expects you to be perfect, and when you're not perfect, you get judged on a much higher scale than everybody else does. You know, and then when you do grow up, they remember you getting into trouble all your time all the time. So when you're a teenager and wanting to follow God, everybody remembers all the silly things you did when you were in the church, and I had one guy you know he was trying to. Excuse his children. He goes, well, they think this is the thing that they're here so often. They think of the church as home. I'm going, and you would let them destroy your home the way they want to destroy the church. And he goes, well, no. I go, well, then don't give me that excuse. <laughs> and I didn't expect his kids to be perfect, but I also didn't expect them to be hellions either, which, which they were trying to become. But here we have him leading into idol worship, and then it says very quickly in this case. And the wrath came on Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass God brought judgment on them during the reign of a righteous king judgment started falling down Israel or Judah and then it says and and he sent prophets to bring them again unto the Lord to testify against them that they and but they would not give ear so he sends messengers to them saying, judgment is coming. Tribulation tribulations coming. Hardship is coming. And they would not listen. And this is what it seems like you know, in our country right now. It seems like we're yelling into the wind and it's rolling right back at us and people aren't listening. <clears throat> Why do they not listen? Well, part of it is that so many of the Christian churches aren't giving the message. You know, it's very sad out there. When you start talking about sin in many different churches, they're looking at you like, why haven't you evolved and come along with the rest of us? Sin no longer matters. And it's like, what What are you talking about? And the problem is our churches are so far removed from the gospel that people are looking around and saying, well, there must be something wrong with you guys. You guys still believe those old... Those old things, you know, that people sin and you believe in hell and you believe in Jesus dying for your sin. But we don't even believe in sin, so we don't know why you have, believe in Jesus. And, you know, and everybody's going to go to heaven. Or the other extreme is nobody goes to heaven because there's no afterlife anyway. You know, one extreme or the other is what's being taught by people who don't believe in sin. And this is a problem because the Bible tells us that God judges sin. And just because Jesus died for sin does not mean there isn't a consequence for sin in our day and age. And because I believe, I've been around a long time, I've heard everybody, Jesus died for all the sins, it doesn't matter if you sin anymore because it's covered. Paul said, are we going to sin more so that grace abounds? And he said, God forbid. And we need to be able to understand all of these things that are out there. Because we're going to hear them. Hopefully I'm doing a good job teaching us about sin and God's redemption and his grace. But if you listen to the other, the other preachers on these channels, every once in a while you find something that's not valid. And so we want to know these things. We want to know what we're going to be hearing. Joash is bringing them into allowing sin in there, and the prophets are coming, and they're not repenting. All right, now we're going to see the extremity of his sin. Verse 20, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And this is not the Zechariah that wrote the bu- book. I knew that would be the first question. Uh, the priest which stood above the people and said to them, thus saith the Lord, why transgress ye in co- the commandments of the Lord that you, that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the Lord and he hath forsaken also forsaken you? And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the command of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. How far has Joash fallen? The son of Jehoiada, Stands up and gets prophesized to them and go, why are you breaking the commandments of God? And here is Joash, who has been very zealous for God. So zealous that he established, reestablished the temple, rebuilt the temple, repaired the temple. Took this offering in spite of the Levites dragging their feet and just... In his very short lifetime, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's killing the prophet of God who's saying that you are sinning. That is a great fall that he has made. And this is the thing that scares me so often when I look. Because My hope and prayer is that I finish well with God. I do not want to get to the point where something goes wrong in my life and I fall. Because I have seen many Bible characters that have not finished well. And I have seen in practical days many Christians that have not finished well. And here we see Joash not finishing well. He has fallen so far that when he is confronted with you are sinning, he kills the messenger. That's quite a fall. Now he has no soft heart toward God at this point. His heart has become so hard that he just kills the messenger that is giving this message, or at least allows it. And they stone the prophet of God who's giving the message that says, you you are sinning. And this is something that is hard to understand, how far he has fallen but i have seen it over and over in my lifetime i've watched people godly people you know preaching teaching sunday schools being in the choirs you know being deacons leading being leaders in the church people who looked up at them and get to some point in their life and i don't know what triggers it maybe it's i've arrived i'm i'm totally righteous i can do things on my own i don't know what all triggers it but all of a sudden you watch them turn their back on god and it may be a simple of, God, you didn't give me all the reward I expected for being your servant. I don't know what tri- triggers it, but whatever the reason is, it doesn't matter. My goal is to say, God, I want to be getting heaven. No matter what I go through on this earth, I'm looking to heaven. And this is what Paul said, you know, these light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory that awaits and when Paul talks light afflictions, it's things that every one of us want to go through. Shipwrecked, being chased out of town, stoned, uh, criticized everywhere we go. You know, those were, Paul considered those light afflictions. Now, Most of us you know, would figure light afflictions, oh, somebody was teasing him, giving him a hard time. You know—that That was light afflictions. But that was not Paul's definition of a light affliction. And how could he call those light afflictions? Because he looked to heaven and said, when I get up there to heaven, these aren't going to even look like anything to me. Where is our focus? Joash's focus was not on God and not on heaven overall. And I don't know what triggered him into fall. He had to have had some heart that was moving the wrong way when he got the counsel. But it's so easy to fall away from God because that is where our heart wants to go. That's where our flesh wants to go. And if we're not totally dedicated to God it is where we're going to go and he goes the wrong way and he's fallen so far that he kills the prophet and the priest because of the message that he didn't want to hear and this was one of the hard things about being a prophet in the days of the king when the king was evil and God said go talk to the king (laughs) if he didn't like your message which he probably wasn't going to like he might just execute you you know, And almost all the prophets in the Bible died hard deaths. Isaiah, one of the great prophets, he preached over several kings, was put into a log and sawn in two by the last king that he prophesied to. You know, and he was old by that time. So they cut him in half. And it wasn't a magician's cutting in half. It was literal cutting in half. And he died. This prophet speaks and dies it's not uncommon for the these preach these prophets to be executed and we're going to see this i'm sure that when we start getting closer to the end days we're going to see pastors who are executed and die for what they what we preach i'm not saying i'm going to but i'm just saying i see the day when we get closer and closer that this is going to happen in many countries even today pastors are imprisoned or killed for speaking the word of God. We are so fortunate in America, we don't even know how fortunate we are to have not faced what most places face. And here, this prophet dies, and it is Joash's command that they they died, that he died. Verse 22, Then Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son, And when he died, he said, the Lord, look upon it and require it. And it came to pass at the end of the year that the host of Syria came up against him and came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent the spoil of them unto the king in Damascus. For the army of the Assyrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered the very great host unto their hand, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, So they they executed just judgment against Joash. So when Zechariah dies, he was not very nice. He actually said, God, give them what they deserve. Not exactly the the prayer that we get there, because if you read here, it says, the Lord look upon it and require it. Basically, he's saying, give them what they deserve. They've executed me, your prophet, They've rejected you, and he's basically saying, God, go get them. Now, one of the things we see in the Old Testament a lot is precatory prayers, which is basically, God, go get them. David has lots of psalms that way. David was very big on precatory prayers. God, these people are hurting me, and you're hurting your people. Go get them. I'm not sure that I really believe in precatory prayers because we are supposed to show God's righteousness and holiness and care and his grace other people, now, I know. There's Christians that pray precatory prayers. I've just, I don't want that in, to be prayer, prayed from from my perspective, because I do not want to see people go to hell, even when they deserve it. I don't really want to see them go to hell because of how hard hell is for the for the for them to go there. I want them to get every chance at returning to God, and. In some ways, I think my prayer is probably worse because I'm going, God, give them blessings so they'll decide to come to you or reject you. And you know, one of the things about it is the lost world, you know, we oftentimes think that they are having fun and enjoying life. Well, every one of us before we came to the Lord understand that we did not enjoy life and we weren't having fun, at least not often enough to say that we were having fun. We might have thought it was fun when we were doing it, And sin does have joy and and happiness in the the moment. But the consequences of sin were never fun. Even if it was just drinking. Went out and had a great party. You don't remember a thing about the party. And then you suffered the next day. And I used to have so much fun when these guys would come to work after they had partied all night. And they were hungover. And I, I almost thought it was so mean. I would almost make more noise on purpose just to irritate them. Oh, that's terrible. I go, well don't have so much fun the night before next time. <laughs> but you know, but the consequences of the actions are there, and they're not happy. They may be happy for a few minutes, they may be happy for an evening, but they pay for it the next day. They, when reality comes back in, they're going, I'm not happy, I'm not joyful, I'm not being fulfilled. And it could be as simple as somebody who says, I want to be famous. You know, the sad thing about being famous, especially in our day and age, is once you 're famous, you also lose all privacy. You now these actors, singers, ball players they can 't go anywhere without everybody knowing who they are and mobbing them and If they do anything wrong it 's a news story you know, and you know if they tell a lie it 's a news story you now if they or drive, get a speeding ticket. It's a news story because of who they are. And uh, this is something that they don't realize is that's what they wanted. I wanted to be famous. I want everybody to know who I am. And then they get there and realize that did not bring peace. It did not bring joy. It did not bring happiness. Now, I want all the money I need and still not be happy with all the money because none of those none of those things are ever going to bring happiness. Why? because what is needed in our life is god god is the only thing that can fill the hole in our heart because it's sized for him and no matter how much money no matter how, how fame no matter how much of any sin that i do will never fill the hole that god is designed for him to fill and you know i might bri- i might even be able to build a bridge halfway across the grand canyon but it, i'm still not going to get to the other side of it because it's too far or too wide and this is the thing in our heart: we cannot fill our heart without God. And you know, when we look at these people going, you know, I wish I had what they had. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, we we were talking about this during one of the breaks today. You know, it goes, they we're talking about you know people winning the lottery and not being happy with with their win. And go, yeah, that's what they all say. They go, yeah, and they said inevitably what everybody says: I'd like to be one that tries. You know. Everybody else isn't happy with it, but I'd love to be the one that tries. I go, no, you're not. The money is not going to satisfy no matter what. If you're not happy, you're not going to be happy. If you're not content with what you have, you're not going to be content with anything else. And this is what Paul said. I've learned to be content with much and with little. Are we content with God? If we're not content with God, We will never be content with anything else. And this is the hard thing for us. Am I going to be content? And it says that it came to pass at the end of that year that the host of Syria came against him, against Judah and Jerusalem, and destroyed all the princes of the people among the people. So the first people that died were those princes that led Joash astray. God brings judgment. Judgment. You know, so if you lead somebody to stray, there's a consequence for that. Jesus said that if you harm one of these little ones of mine, it would be better to have a millstone put around your neck and cast into the deepest sea. Now, a millstone only weighed about 1,000 to 2,000 pounds. And he said, put a millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea. You'd be better off than harming these children. These priests led the entire nation, uh, these, these uh princes these leaders led the entire nation astray and they were the first ones to take the judgment for it anytime during that period Joash could have repented now it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have become a tributary or everything anything but he could have repented at any point during this judgment and we see this over and over in the scriptures when the nation finally turns God moves and this is what I have seen in my life. Fighting a problem, fighting a problem, fighting a problem, months, years. Turn to God and repent. And very quickly, God brings the blessing. And, you know, and I've had people go, well, things are just so messed up. I cannot get out of this. Repent. Turn to God. Look to him for everything and watch what he does when you surrender your life to him. And I know what I'm talking about. I fought God six years one time. And when I finally repented, it took a very, very short time, a month or two, and everything turned around that had been pressing against me during that period of time. God moves quickly when he brings that blessing. Now, does that mean there was no consequences for all that bad stuff? No, there were consequences. There's always consequence for sin. But God turns things around and brings blessing into our life when we turn to him and surrender to him. Even when we're looking and saying, God, there's a whole, bit, whole bunch of mess here. I can't understand how anything will get ever fixed. And God says, well, I'm bigger than you are, and I know a little more than you do. Just surrender. And then he tweaks one thing here and there, and the next thing you know, you're getting blessed. Again, consequences, suffering because of the consequences, yes, but how fast does God bring changes? He can bring healing if it needs health healing. He can bring financial healing. He can bring all, anything that it may, takes once you've turned, turned your life over to Him. And I've heard more than one person say, like, well, it's, everything is just so messed up. I cannot see how, God can, how turning to God can do this. I go, I can't either, but God knows. And we know that when we turn our life back over to Him, things happen, and they happen quickly. And we see this Joash when he first became king, turned the nation to God and we watched the blessings. We see various kings, Hezekiah comes into being ruler and things change very quickly. David becomes king, changes to follow God and things changed very quickly. And we just want to say, is it perfect? Nope. But when they're following God, he brings grace and mercy and things do change. And we focused on him and had all these things going on. And so Assyria comes in, they destroy all the princes. And then verse 24 it says something very interesting. For the army of the Assyrians came with a small company of men, and the Lord delivered a very great host unto their hand. So they came with a small army. Basically, they were just coming to harass, harass Israel, harass Judah. You know, they didn't come with a conquering army. They didn't come with 130,000, you know, half a million. Uh, because we know that the army of Israel, of Judah at that time, was somewhere around three or 400,000. They come with what what is described as a small company. And it says, God delivered them into their hands. I think it would probably even shocked the Syrian army. Okay. Jew, Jerusalem, the unconquerable city. And it... And it basically, they put it into their hand. Not that they took Jerusalem, but they made them tributaries through their coming against him. When God is for you, no amount of enemy can take you. When God is against you, it doesn't take very many people to take, take and ruin your life, and make things difficult for you. A small, not even army. It said company. Came against them, so this wasn't even a full army of Syria. This was just some small division that came against them—a you know, division or a company, you know, uh, maybe a regiment, you know, if you're military terms. What is a small group takes the entire army of Joash because God was against him because of their falling away from Him and the killing of His prophets. And God says, okay, fine. This is what you want. You want to turn your back on me. I will turn my back on you. Now, Israel, when they're following God and when God is on their side, miracles happen in Israel, in their armies. You, we read the book of uh, Judges. There's one battle where the hornets drove the enemy, enemy away from them. Another one where you know God sends hailstones and kills more men than they were in battle. God moves and the enemy is destroyed. During Israel's opening days during the great six day war, there were some miracles that God did to protect his young nation being reestablished. There's, there's stories of entire divisions surrendering to one man because they saw more than one man. And they'd surrender, and one man would take the, take the whole division captive. There were stories of bombs dropping out of the air and not exploding, missiles falling out of the sky. You know, it's over and over again, you had all these things happening and no explanation other than God. And even to this day in Jerusalem, when they get these rocket attacks and everything, not, too, not that many places get hit and get destroyed. Now, part of it is their Iron Dome defense system, but I think more of it is God protecting them God helping every one of those missiles hit their target, because no place else has that kind of protection. You know, to be protected, God is still protecting his people. And the strange thing is he's protecting them while they're atheists. At least they're not worshiping other gods like they've done in the past. But he's protecting them only because of his promise to Abraham. And he's saying, okay, Abraham, I gave you a promise. And we're closing in on the end days. So your nation, your people have to be in their land and Jerusalem has to be the, the center of everything. I'm going to protect them. And he is protecting them even though they do not deserve it. His grace is upon the Jewish nation. And that's all it is, is his grace because most of them do not deserve it. They're not following after him. They're not seeking him. And God is still delivering them. Now they're not worshiping idols any more than any other person is worshiping idols. Because remember the definition of an idol is anything that is in the place of God. And when we say that, how many of us in America worship idols? Now lots of us have idols in our life. Jobs, money, position, prestige, family, hobbies, sports, entertainment. We all have something oftentimes that will take the place of God. And we need to be very careful That we look at saying, this is what's important. And, you know, I've heard many pastors say, and I know it's true, if you really want to know what's important to somebody, look at their checkbook and look at their calendar. What are they spending all their money on? How much money goes to God? How much money goes to their real God? And you can find out very quickly. Find out who's getting what money from them, and you'll find out who their God is. Look at their calendar. How much time are they spending with other things? Or are they spending it with God? You know, this is very important. Right now, Israel is just living under the grace of God. Only because God's giving gracious to them. And probably because there are many people praying for the peace of Jerusalem, just as God told us to. And all the Christians praying for peace in Jerusalem, which means they're probably living on the prayers of Christians and having the grace come upon them because they're being lifted up so much. Where, and God saying, I promised Abraham, look at all these people praying, okay, I am going to protect my people. And all by grace. And God will not let them. And it even says in the scriptures that in the end days that he will call his people to Jerusalem. And it is very interesting, if you get to talking to very many Jews, almost every Jew that I've ever talked to wants to at least visit Jerusalem And many of them say, I wouldn't mind living in Jerusalem. And as we find more and more anti-Semitism coming in in the world, I think we're going to see more and more of the Jews saying, I'm going to go to Israel. Now, all I have to worry there is people shooting bombs at us, but here I've got to worry about going to bed at night. And we're seeing this happen. And I think this anti-Semitism that's going on is going to force more of the Jews to go to Israel and settle in Israel. And where God says they're going to be anyway. So that he can protect his people all in one place. And makes it easier for Satan to attack them because they'll all be in one place. So militarily, it's not a great great plan, but God is stronger. And so God delivers them. And it says in verse 24, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers, so they executed judgment against Joash. They rejected God. They turned their back on God. And God says, fine, you want to turn your back on me? I'm going to turn my back on you. And even worse, when God turns his back on on somebody, is that he also sends judgment. So in one sense, he's not turning his back. He's just not defending them. He Says, you forsook me, I'm going to forsake you. And by me forsaking you, I'm going to let all these enemies come and get you. And this is the problem. And for us as Christians, if we turn our back against God, he lets things happen. And this is where we can be very serious. And people who backslide, you know, end up seeing God turn his back on on them and let things happen. And watch what happens to their lives as God is saying, I'm going to let you repent. I want you to repent. When God allows judgment or sends judgment upon us, it's not because he's mean. It's not because he wants to hurt us. It's because he wants us to turn to him. And this is what the book of Revelation is all about. 21 judgments on this world are not to make life miserable and hard because God is mean and and angry at them, which he is angry at their disobedience, but it is to say, I'm sending these things to you I want you to repent and turn to me when bad things happen God is saying I want you to turn I want you to turn back to me when Job went through all of this stuff that he went through one of the things that God was trying to teach him was Job you don't understand me yes you are righteous yes you are offering sacrifices but you don't understand me and my heart I am not a God that just blesses you for the sake of blessing you because you earned it because I bless you because I decide to bless you. And he's teaching him a lesson. And when, many times when we go through hard times, if it's not for discipline because I've done something wrong, God is actually trying to teach us something about himself that we don't understand. And that's Job is one of those great cases. Job believed in prosperity gospel. And God says, no, I'm much more than prosperity gospel. I'm the one I want you to touch to, not because you get rewarded, but because of me. Because of who I am, I want you to be following me. And this is some place where we need to be. No matter what comes our way in life, is our trust in God. God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Even when it looks like my whole life has fallen apart and and seems like I'm going through hell on earth, I'm gonna trust in you. And that needs to be our point of reference. Because at that time, God is saying, do you trust in me? Do you trust me? And the answer is very telling sometimes. There's lots of people say, absolutely not, God. I've lost all my possessions. I'm having a hard time at work. It looks like I'm going to lose my job. I don't trust you, God, because things don't seem to be working right. And God says, well, I'm going to keep going until you decide you're going to trust me. And this is very important for us. Where is our trust? Is our trust in the word of God? is our trust in the promises of God in spite of what I think I see. And I'm very amazed when people will tell me, well, I trust God to take me to heaven and give me eternal life, but I don't trust him to take care of me on this world. They're not quite that blunt, but they're obviously, you know, they're in debt with uh, four or five times what they're going to make in their lifetime because they have to have things now and, and take care of things now. They are not trusting God in their, in their actions, they're not following God's word, but they're looking for God to take care of them in heaven. And I wonder, do you really trust God in the first place? You know, that's not my judgment, but do we really trust God? When we face a problem, what is our first instinct? Let me figure out how to take care of it. In America, our first instinct is, well, let me get a consolidation loan. Let me get, let me get two, two or three jobs. I'm going to take care of these issues. And God may be saying, just trust, just let me be the one that takes care of you. And this is sometimes very, very hard to do as we look around and say, God, I just don't know how. And that is when we need to relax and say, God, I'm listening. Most of us are so busy trying to figure out the answers and how to fix things that we don't step back and just listen to God and follow his way and believe me I know that one really well I'm a manager I'm a planner I go I can get I can plan myself out of this 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 issue and you know when I do that when I don't invite God into my plans he usually actively goes against my plans and makes them not work and I'm going okay God thank you All right, I'm gonna listen start talking quick God before I start making more plans but I know I'm going to want to make plans if I don't get an answer quickly. And God's oftentimes telling me, just relax, just sit back. And is there anything wrong with plans? No. But if I don't include God in my plans and him into my, into my thoughts, yes, there's everything wrong with plans. I need to be praying. I need to be organizing and saying, God, what do you want? How, how do we lift you up in all of this stuff? And this is very important because Joash is following him, falling away from him. Verse 25, And when they were departed from him, for they, for they left him in great diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and slew him in his, on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they buried him not in the sepulchres of the kings. And these are they that conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Zim, Shim-ia, of an Ammonitis, and Jehoiadbad, the son of Shimrith, a Moabitis. Now concerning his sons and the greatness of the burden laid upon him and the re- repairing of the house, behold, they are written in the story of the Book of Kings. And Amaziah his son reigned in his stead. So, when they finally left Syria. It says, they left him in great diseases, but technically it is suffering and wounded. He was wounded severely during these battles, somehow. That's what Hebrew is. He was suffering from wounds. And his servants conspired against him. And you know, they killed him in bed. Horrible way to die if you're a king and a leader of the people. He died while he was sleeping. And... Who knows where his bodyguard was during that time, probably trusting the servants to do what they were supposed to do, take care of him. And unfortunately, they took care of him uh, very poorly. He doesn't tell us how they killed him, but while he was sleeping, they killed him. And they did this for the blood of Jehoiada, the priest, is what their uh, reasoning was. Now... There's time frame missing here. If they were going to kill him for killing Jehoiada, uh, or not Jehoiada, but uh, the son, Zechariah, if they were going to kill him for killing Zechariah, it should have been when it happened, not long after. This was the problem that Absalom had when he slew his brother. It was several years later that he took vengeance on his brother for the, for the rape of his sister. If he had killed her, killed him you know, within a... Week or so of that it would have been justifiable, but waiting years was cold-blooded murder against him. And here, there's a murder. Now they're thinking they're doing something good. We're we're bringing vengeance for for Zechariah. We need to be careful uh, about this. And we are told in the scriptures that vengeance is mine; I will repay, says the Lord. Our job, especially as Christians, let God deal with the punishment. Our job as Christians is to love the person and to forgive them. If God decides that they need full-fledged judgment, God can bring that judgment upon them. Our job is to love and give mercy and forgiveness. Now I hear a lot of people, well, I can't forgive that. Well, then you've got to decide what you're going to do because God forgives. You know, when I hear that, it bothers me. I can't forgive that person. You know, and I've even heard people very bluntly say, God may be able to forgive them, but I can't. Wow. You are bigger than God. You're God because God can forgive them, but you can't forgive what God can forgive. Now, most of them aren't really thinking that that's what they're saying, but isn't that really what they're saying? Uh, I have higher standards than God. Wow, that's scary. (laughs) Especially when you watch the way they live. But we need to be very careful. How are we going to live for God is very important. He tells us to love one another. He tells us to forgive. And you know we, he's not wanting a bunch of vigilantes running around bringing judgment upon that things. He put the government in place of that. The government goes along and will bring is his arm of vengeance and carries the sword, as we're told in in Romans. The government is the arm that brings discipline for the disobedience to God. Now, the sad thing in our government is it's gotten so far away from being obedient to God that we can't even trust our own government anymore. But they'll have to answer to God. And again, still not for us to bring judgment. It's for them, and they refuse to. God will judge the nations. God will judge the leaders of nations and say, Why did you not do what you were supposed to do. Well, I didn't believe in you. Doesn't matter. I'm here. And this is the important thing. When I meet people who don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible and all these things, you know what I tell them anyway? I tell them what God says. Doesn't matter. Because when they stand before God, it's not going to matter, well, I didn't believe in you. Well, I'm sitting right here in front of you now. I don't care whether you believed in me or not. I don't care whether you believed in my word or not. You're going to be judged by my word. Now. God isn't worried about people not believing in him because he is true. And it's the same thing I say. You know, you may have somebody that's foolish enough not to believe in gravity. But if they go take a 30, 40 foot jump or walk off a cliff somewhere, they're going to really quickly believe in gravity because they're not going to have any choice. Gravity doesn't care whether you believe in it or not. All right? The laws of science don't, dec- don't, believe- don't care whether you believe in them or not. They are still true truth is true whether you believe it or not and in today's world where they say there's no absolute truth that does not get rid of truth it just means people are acting like they don't believe in truth and they don't even that's not even true because they do they believe in whatever truth they want to be true which you know but God is saying I have truth and I don't care whether you believe it or not because ultimately everybody's gonna stand before God and those of us who believe will get to stand in front of Jesus at the Bema seat and get rewards. Those who don't believe will stand in front of God and be judged for their, for their disobedience to His word, their sin, and be convicted of not being perfect, even if they don't believe in Him. The atheist is going to stand in front of Him, the agnostic is going to stand in Him, the, right, the people who think they're righteous because they're following other religions other than, than God's way are going to stand before Him, and all are going to be found. Guilty because truth will be the judge that guy that, that they're laid in front of. So God doesn't care. So when we're witnessing to somebody, you know, I've witnessed to more than one person, I read them Bible verses. God says, over all of sin and comes short of the glory. Of God, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, I understand. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I don't believe in the Bible. I understand. And <laughs> keep giving them the Bible. I understand you don't believe it. Doesn't matter to me, it's the truth. You know don 't let them stop you from giving truth when you 're talking to people don't let them give you just go well i don't believe those things doesn't matter. They will still be accountable to truth. they will be accountable to the truth they have heard. they will be accountable to the truth they know in their heart because you know what it doesn't take hard it 's not hard to convince people that they're sinners because everybody knows that they 've done wrong things now I may not they may not agree with me on everything that's, that's a sin, but there's something that they know that they're doing wrong. You know, they know that they have lied. They know that they have cheated. They know that they have done several things. You know, ultimately, even those that are sleeping around know that it was wrong or used to know when they first started that, that it was wrong to do what they were doing. It's not hard to convince people that they're sinners because God put it into our hearts that we're sinners, that we need something more than what we have. Now, the longer they sin, the, more less, the less likely they are to admit that they're a sinner until they reach a place where they're totally despondent. But there will come that point where they recognize, I am violating what I know to be, to be wrong. And that is when we reach them. That is when they're going to be reachable. But we lay the foundations. We plant seeds. We water seeds. You know, our job is real simple as Christians. We plant the seed of gospel, and if we're not the one that plants it, we get to water it. And we're not responsible for whether it grows or not. The word of God is the seed. The gospel is the seed. And the one responsible for growing that seed is God himself. And he plants it in that person, he gives it the opportunity to grow. Our job is just to keep watering it. Keep giving it more and more water. And maybe one day we'll get to reap, reap the crop whether we're the one that gets to lead somebody to the Lord or we're just the one watering it or planting it, all get the reward. All will get the reward for that. And I hear people, all, well, I don't, nobody ever responds. Just keep going. Keep, keep planting. Keep, keep, uh, keep it down. I have been hearing people that I planted seeds in that got saved by somebody else. And you know what? I praise God. They're saved. Was it my word that got in there? I don't know. It doesn't matter because they're in heaven, and it's God who brings the increase. My job is just to share the gospel, share the gospel, teach people how to walk with God, help them grow, and plant plant more seeds, plant more seeds, and let God be the one that brings the harvest. So this is where we're at. Joash is not buried with the kings. He's buried in the city of David, but he is not buried in the king's sepulcher which is a really sad state state because he started out so well. And the final judgment that they go is he does not to be he does not deserve to be buried with his father David and Solomon because of how far he had fallen. And that is a sad thing to do and and looking at that and then it tells us that It's written in the Book of the Kings, which might be the Book of the Kings that we have in this case, because they do talk about him there. But it probably is other books as well, other books that we don't have. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, teach us to be able to walk with you consistently. Help us all to finish well. Do not let us fall from your grace and your mercy. Help us to finish well, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says,